smiling faces, even behind our, our mask. I can see that smile somewhere hidden behind there. Amen, amen, amen. And it's good to see uh, Brother Eric, who's been here for four weeks in a row. Let's give the Lord some praise. And he's on the first row. Amen. And we thank the Lord for him and uh, thank the Lord. We see Brother Greg in the house with his lovely, lovely, uh, I'm not going to put a definition, lovely woman. Okay, praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 And I pray that everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving. Don't miss out on the bondage breaker. That is a life transformational teaching that is available to you every Wednesday night. Even if you can't come into the house, it is live streamed to you. Pastor Heyman is uh, teaching his segment. Uh, please encourage him by joining, making comments. Uh, it's an encouragement. I want to also encourage people, when we start worship service, come on in on the inside. Uh, I know me, when I, when I was singing, and people seem not to be uh, uh, involved for one reason or another, uh, it can be distracting or it can be discouraging. Just come on in. Come on in. I was watching Sister Lucinda. I was trying to do my thing and get my notes together, but I couldn't sit down. I had to come and see what new thing God was doing. So thank you all for your obedience and for making your way into the house of God. T today, turn your attention with me to the book of Psalm uh, 56. We're going to actually be looking at all 13 verses, but I asked uh, Pastor Heyman if he would concentrate on verses 3 through 4. Somebody say, I found it. Be merciful to me, O God. For man would swallow me up, fighting all day to oppress me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust I will not fear. All day they twist my words and their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps. When they lie in wait for my life, shall they escape by iniquity? In anger cast them down, the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings, put my tears in your, into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Amen. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we bless your name for your presence today. Now, Heavenly Father, by the Holy Spirit, Move as only you can. Talk to us in ways that we need to hear your voice. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to adjust this down just a little bit. I'm afraid to say, but okay, just, uh, just, uh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We good, we good, we good, we good. Hallelujah. I was uh, watching the news on Wednesday night after... Uh, having a minor surgical procedure. You can turn it up a little bit. Amen. Amen. And one of the stories that caught my attention uh, occurred earlier in the day. And 
the news media was alerted and told to go to the site where this event was taking place, a very large deer somehow had made its way into a new construction where homes were being built. Somehow this bear, this deer, got inside of the walls where a freshly laid foundation had just been completed. Now, it, was, it wasn't wet, but it was solid. But because of how deep the foundation was, when the deer got inside, it was unable to escape. And no matter how hard the deer tried to jump over the wall to get out, it was unsuccessful. And finally, the deer gave up, exhausted, and laid down, apparently accepting its fate. And when the construction crew arrived, they noticed the deer inside of the structure on the foundation. And they decided, we'll get the deer out. Large, but we'll get the deer out. And so two of the gentlemen got down inside of the area where the deer was. And the more they tried to help the deer, the more aggressive the deer became. The deer actually tried to attack the men who were trying to help it escape from its, its, its situation. So finally, the, the construction workers decided, let's get some professionals involved. So they called animal control. Don't call animal control here in Delaware, <laughs> especially if something dies. It's just going to be on the street. Yeah, anyway, praise the Lord. Anyway, that's a sidebar. <laughs> so they did come. Maybe it was the neighborhood. I, I don't know. So the experts get there, and they decide to use an entirely different method to rescue this deer. They go get this gun, <laughs> and they point it at the deer, and they shoot the deer with a tranquilizer. And they sedate the deer, and the deer is out for the count. After the deer is asleep, they put a harness around the deer and lift it up outside of the, uh, con the construction and take the deer back to the forest, releases it, and it was saved. Now, I only had two questions. I'm watching this. First of all, it's, it's an animal. But they had to, a lot of resources was, were extended to help this animal. Yeah, yeah. people really have a bleeding heart when it comes to animals. Yeah. <laughs> now, I wouldn't have left it there. It had to come out. But deer tastes good. <laughs> now, I wouldn't have killed it. <laughs> so, so, my first question was, why did the deer try to hurt the men that were trying to help it? And my second question was, why did the professionals have to knock the deer out to rescue it from its dangerous situation? And one word answered my question, fear. Fear will make you fight people who are trying to help you. Fear will make you put up your antennas like a porcupine 
When someone's trying to embrace you, you will resist and reject their intentions to help because you have fear of their motivation. The more deeply we've been hurt, the more often we've been disappointed, the more lies we've been told, the more often things that were said that would happen didn't happen, the greater our level of fear develops to the point where we can find ourselves in bondage in the very way of escape that God provides for us, we will resist it. Sometimes God literally has to supernaturally knock us out <laughs> to bless us. You thought your boss fired you. No, no. You should have left that job five years ago. God had to fire you because you were afraid to leave. I thought about this week. I was talking to the elders, and I was sharing with them something. I've been scared. I'm scared. <laughs> I shouldn't have told them that. <laughs> but I told them. Sometimes we find ourselves on our back because we thought that if we didn't do it, it couldn't get done because we're the only ones. And God says, let me tranquilize you. <laughs> Sometimes the position and place that God has for you will never be your experience because you have not dealt with fear. You have allowed fear to paralyze you, to dominate you. And people that are fearful will get you killed because of fear. I watched a man, <laughs> this was, this is not even funny, but. So you can't just push people into, out of their fear. You just can't say that, do that. I watched a man almost drown in two feet of water, a grown man. Going around on these slides at the kid's slide, he forgot to close his mouth when he was going down. <laughs> and he literally almost drowned. And people were laughing and thought this man was drowning. Fear will paralyze you, keep you from learning. It will shut off the blessings of God from your life. Somebody say, deal with it. Come on now, deal with it or be dominated by it. When we come to Psalm 56, David, the man after God's own heart, makes a decision about fear. In verses 3 and 4, he says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. Here it is. I will not fear what can flesh, what can mortals, what can mere men do to me. Now, when David penned these words, he was literally running for his life. King Saul, filled with jealousy and rage, over his insecurities about David, put a bounty, a contract out for David's life. 
And the bounty that King Saul put on David's life wasn't dead or alive. It was catch him dead. I don't want him alive. I want David dead. And so David, fleeing from Saul, had nowhere to hide within the confines of Israel. So he ran to the least expected place. He went to a city called Gath. And what was unusual about his choice, the king of Gath was a man named Achish, and Achish was a Philistine. Watch this. And the Philistines were Israel's most fierce enemies. It was like you running to the Dallas Cowboys huddle. That's what this was. This was bad. This was bad. This was ugly. So here David is fleeing for his life, and he runs to hide in enemy territory. He's surrounded by haters. It gets worse. Gath is the city where Goliath, you remember the giant Goliath? He was born and raised there. Goliath was the dude that David said, you blasphemer, you had blasphemed in the name of the Lord, the battles, all of that. Remember, and David took a sling and stone, hit the dude and sit on his giant head, and then he took his own sword and cut off his head and then lifted up his, I'm sorry, only too graphic, but the point was David became a celebrity because as a teenager, he defeated Goliath and paraded the spoils of his victory. Everybody knew David. That's why the women said, David has slain his 10,000. David has slain his 10,000. Goliath was like 10,000 compared to all, other, all of Israel's other enemies. One of the guys in Gath actually said, hey, this is the guy. This is the dude. This is the guy. The slingshot guy. Isn't he the one that the women, the women got David? Isn't he the one that the women said he has slain his 10,000 and Saul? So David, while he was in Gath, to stay alive, he pretended to be insane. And so he's in the enemy's territory dealing with terror. And what we learn from his experience is seven principles of how to deal with fear so that it will not, will not dominate you even when you're surrounded by a world that is crazy and out of control and getting worse. David allows us through his experience, directed by the Holy Spirit, to develop some principles that will help us to deal with fear. In verse 1, he said, be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. That's the New King James Version. The NIV says, be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are hot in pursuit. Men will swallow me up. No, they are hot in pursuit. They're on my tail. They're right on the heels. They're stalking me. They done blew my name up online. They, everybody know where I live. Everybody know my stuff. What does David do? The first principle is ask God for help. Ask God for help. He said, 
Lord, have mercy on me. Now, it's interesting who David asked for help. The name that he chooses in the Hebrew is Elohim. We know from, as Bible students, that God has many names. His primary name is Yahweh, Jehovah. But Elohim is one of God's many names. And every name that God has in the Bible, like El Shaddai, uh, Jehovah, Rapha, etc., each one of those names represents a particular perfection, unique characteristic of God's attribute. It tells you something different about God. And it says how we need, when we call on God as Elohim, David is saying, I need a certain kind of help. Elohim first appears in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. This name has reference to God's creative power and control over creation. This name references the fact that God spoke into existence from nothing, everything that is. And so when David says Elohim, he's saying all-powerful one who spoke into existence everything that is, from nothing. I need you to speak into existence protection for me where there's no protection to be found. Create it for me, oh God. I, I'm, I'm vulnerable here. I'm surrounded. Prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. Elohim, make my enemies my footstool. <laughs> make the traps that they set for me be those that they fall in. Elohim, Elohim, all-powerful creator, speak into existence what doesn't exist, protection in a land where I'm surrounded by crazy people. But notice what David asked for. He said, Lord, I need mercy. That word means pity and compassion. It's not, uh, this, this word pity and compassion, mercy is when we get what we don't deserve. He, David is saying, give me what I don't deserve. I'm not demanding this from you. I'm not saying that you're obligated to do this. I'm saying that I need this. Would you please? This is a cry of desperation. I know you can speak into existence that which does not exist to protect me, but you don't have to do it. Have mercy. Have mercy. Uh, 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 Jeremiah captured this thought in, Jer in Lamentation chapter 3, verses 23, 22 and 23. says, through the Lord's mercies, I'm not consumed because your compassions fail not. They are new morning by morning. Great is your faithfulness. We need the divine mercy of God. But in order to receive it, we have to come to him in humility because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Sometimes God can't help us because we're too proud. We, too, we, ain't gonna, we ain't gonna be, we're not going to be crying out. We ain't going to get undignified. I got my hair done today. Look at my, I ain't going to be messing up my nails and, 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 and messing up my makeup. Man, if I cry, you're going to see the tears on my face. I don't care what you see. 
I'm in a place where I'm surrounded by people who hate me, who people who are, who look, who are trying to kill and destroy me. Have mercy, Elohim. One of the hardest things that I deal with working in hospice are the patients who come in and they're older. And when you read their, their, their record, you find the reason they ended up in hospice is because they had a fall at home. But they somehow got separated from their phone. They were still alert enough to know that they had injured themselves. They may have hit their head. They may have a bleed. But because they don't have access to their phone, they can't call in. Sometimes those people, those elderly people, are there for five days without anybody knowing that they have fallen. By the time we get to them, they bled out. Or they have, they have a, uh, what could have been a minor stroke is now a full-blown stroke, and there's no opportunity for recovery. And so one of the things that you tell, you should tell your elderly parents and, and people you know, is to get a life alert. Anybody know what I'm talking about? One of those bracelets. You can get a watch. You can get a, a, a necklace. And if you fall down and nobody's there, all you got to do is press the button. And immediately somebody will respond and ask you if it's okay. And they will call somebody in your family. And then what could have, what could have been avoided, somebody would, will, should have been avoided, will be avoided because somebody was alerted through the life alert. When we, like David, cry out for mercy to Elohim, who can create out of nothing protection that doesn't exist, that's our life alert. Mercy is our life alert. This automatic, this is beyond 911. This is directly to the very throne room of God. He will hear us when we cry and ask him for mercy. I have a life alert through Jesus Christ. He will hear me. I won't needlessly suffer. So the first thing, ask for help. Ask Elohim. Then accept the facts when you are afraid. He says in verse uh, 1b through 3a, he says, For my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their, they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In pride many are attacking me when I am afraid. Here's the first fact that you need to accept. Salvation does not exempt you from being attacked. David was in the center of the will of God for his life when he was under the attack of Saul, of King Saul, and now in the presence of enemies. And so being saved, I used to think, once I got saved, <laughs> oh, man, I won't be cussing no more. I <laughs> I won't be lusting no more. I'm one step from heaven, especially when I got to seminary. Oh, man, I can see the pearly gates. There were no pearly gates. The seminary was surrounded by the, the, the most intense, dense population of prostitutions in the state of Texas. So that didn't go nowhere. But in my mind, I'm saved now. Okay. Don't let your minds go anywhere with that. Amen. Praise the Lord. But what my point is, salvation doesn't exempt us. I'm coming under attack. Amen. Job's testimony helps us to understand the trouble. Trouble will not pass your house just because you're saved. Listen to God's resume. This, is, this wasn't Job's resume that he wrote for himself because we say stuff in our resume 
<laughs> that ain't always true. But here's what God says of Job. He says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Here's the resume. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Guess what? In spite of Job's faithfulness in his resume, trouble came his way. And Job was able to say, Lord, you slay me, but let will I trust you. So even though Job was the most righteous person living in his time, trouble did not say, oh, that's a Christian. I, I'm going to go to the next house. Doesn't work that way. First fact. Second, second fact is God measures the intensity of your test. He measures. He puts a hedge of protection around us. The Bible says there has no temptation that has taken you, but such that is common to man. But God is faithful who will never allow you to be tempted beyond you are able to bear. But with every temptation, God provides. So what will take me out may not take you out. God will never allow you to be tested beyond what he has given you the capacity to handle. So whatever you're going through, he measures your test. Here's what de the devil said. Oh, yeah, you said Job is bad. He loved you. Uh, does he really love you? For Let me touch. And this is what the scripture says. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flock and his herds are spread throughout the land. And then God responds, uh, very well then. Everything that he has is in your power, but on the man himself, you do not have the power to lay a finger on him. So God said you can touch his family, his children, his, his wealth, his health, but you can't. the hedge will not go beyond that. You cannot kill him. He measured Job's test. He measures our test. Aren't you guys? That's a fact. You will, experience, you will experience attack, but God will measure them. I was looking at some examples of this uh, in the Bible. <laughs> when you get a chance, read the book of Hosea. God said to a prophet Hosea, I want you to marry a prostitute. Her name was Gomar. I want you to marry a woman who's going to cheat on you. And what I want you to, when, so, Joe, so, so Hosea obeys God. He marries Hosea. He marries Gomer. They have three children. Two of the children are by other men while they still married. And then Gomer decides to leave Hosea, the prophet, the pastor, the preacher, with three children to move in with her pimp. And when he got done with her, he would not want no more. He sold her, took her to the auction block to sell her. Guess what God told him, Hosea, to do? Talk about me. Ah, I'm glad I ain't Hosea. I'm telling you, oh, God. Oh, he measures. He knows what we, he knows what we can handle. He said, now, Hosea, I want you to go down to the auction block where the pimp has brought your wife who left you with three children, had two children while you're married by, enough, by other dudes. I want you to buy her back. <laughs> Guess what he did? He brought her back. Some might say grace is scandalous. Oh, the grace of God is scandalous. Oh, it's scandalous. He brought that woman back. He measures. 
He knows you're not Hosea. He told the prophet Ezekiel, he said, you can get married. You can even have a happy, happy marriage. But when your wife dies and she died, you cannot go to her funeral. You cannot cry. You cannot go to her burial. And you got to get up and go to work the next day just like the woman never died and you've never been married. Guess what Ezekiel did? He did just what God told him. That was a, that was a polemic against the people to show how God was going to deal with the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. He measures our test. He told Jeremiah as a child, Jeremiah wasn't trying to raise his hand. I want to be a prophet. I want to be a preacher. Let me go to this. No, he wasn't asking for that. He actually said, I'm a, I, I, I can't speak. I, 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 that disqualifies me, doesn't it, Lord? God said, I'd set you apart before you were born in your mother's womb. I have made you a prophet. And then I'm going to put my word in your mouth. But a part of the word that I'm saying, putting in your mouth is you'll never be able to get married. You'll never have children. And during the 40 years of Jeremiah's ministry, he didn't have a single convert. Not one. Nobody joined his ministry. Was he a success? This guy, wait a minute, he's a prophet and a pastor. Nobody joined his church. He, he did everything that God told him to do. God measured his test. But Jeremiah, during his test, he said, Lord, I'm quitting this. I'm done. I'm done. I, I didn't take, look at look, 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 read my lips. He said, you tricked me. You deceived me. You twi- Who can say no to you? You ain't fair. And he said, I'm, I'm done. I'm resigned. And he said, but your word was like fire. Shut up in my bones. I couldn't keep quiet. I don't know about you, but I don't know how I would handle preaching to an empty church for 40 years. And all they want to do is throw me in jail and give me bread and water. That was Jeremiah's experience. Then he called Paul. He said, Paul, I wanna, I'm, I'm selecting you and setting you apart to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And you're going to stand before kings. I can hear Paul and others say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a preacher's preacher. I'm going to be standing before kings. He said, but you're going to suffer much. You will suffer much for me. And you just go, Paul said, let me, get, let me show my resume of suffering. Yeah, ain't nobody suffered more than me. He wasn't complaining. He said, for the cause of Christ, I'll die. God measures our, our tests. Aren't you glad? So you, you, you ask for help, accept the facts that God will never. When I was a freshman at Cheney, I pledged what was called a freshman dog line to see if I was going to go to the big boys, Q's or the alphas. So you go through this first week of hell. But at the end of the night, we had to line up, start with about 40 of us. By the time we get to the end of the week, there about 15. And all of us, all 40 of us would stand in the line, and they would look for the biggest sneaker on the biggest brother that were big brothers to use, and we all had to bend over, and these brothers got opportunity to pick the largest man out there and to get three, three whacks on your backside. Nah! Every night we got that for seven straight days. Now, 
I'm still traumatized by that, but I'm not going to quit. But the leader of our line, everything we got, he got twice. So we got three, he got six. And this guy, he, he never finished college, never even got out of that semester, but he did finish the dog line. <laughs> but my point was, he had a tolerance for pain that after three, I know I would have quit. That's, you ever get hit by a sneaker on your backside? Oh, no. That's abuse. That ain't no brotherly love. That's abuse. All right? So, so we got bowed in the chest every night. Bow you in your chest three times. You got to put your hands. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was fun. Really, I can't wait to do that again. But the point is, he got double because he, for whatever reason, he had a tolerance for pain. I did not have. Just like he had that tolerance of pain, God knows how much you can take. And what seems like too much with three sneakers to you, for somebody else, six would not be, would not be too much for them. He measures what he allows us to go through. Amen. I might file abuse charges. I wonder if it's too late. <laughs> Statue limitations. <laughs> Fact number three, problems must be dealt with. David says, my enemies are hot on my trail. I have nowhere to run. He did not ignore the problem. Well, I'm just going to pray about it. I'm just going to believe Jesus. It's done in the name of Jesus. I declare and decree it's not happening. And you choose not to get dialysis. I know people who could be alive today, they won't get dialysis. I'm believing God for my healing. He gave you a source to heal you. He said, you who are sick, you need a physician. Even when people contract AIDS and a lady contract AIDS, she will not take the medication. You can live a normal, healthy life with medication. I believe in God get to heaven. Why didn't you save me? God said, I did provide a way. You just didn't take it. you got to deal with your problems. You can't drink them away. You can't party them away. You can't chill them away. you got to deal with your stuff. Deal with your stuff because when you don't, fear will overwhelm you. Fear is like, a, like, that, like the fog. When it, it gathers slowly, if you catch it, you don't want it to overtake you. You don't want it in your spirit because once it's in your spirit, now you're down. Fact number four, fear is real. David says, whenever I'm afraid, this is a dude who killed a lion and a bear. David was a mighty man. He was Saul's strongest warrior. He never fought a fight that he didn't win. And here he say, when I'm afraid. I had to deal with that. I told the elders, I'm scared. I'm leaving my job. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. David said, when I he acknowledge, I don't care how big and tough you think you is. We all have something that we are afraid of. Don't, don't test God to talk. I ain't scared of nothing, okay? That's why I can't understand. Why do you pay to go to the movies to be scared, frightened by movies? Why would you do that? Why am I gonna pay to be frightened? David acknowledged that he had fears. 
Sometimes we have afraid. We don't want people to think we're weak. We don't think we don't know. We don't want people to think that we have any insecurity. We keep trying to protect ourselves. I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a this. I'm a that. All of that. I, my, the first thing, a lady I saw coming out of the door, first thing she said, I'm doctor. Oh, I don't care who you is or your title. That, ain't who, that doesn't make you who you are. But a lot of times when people are projecting and putting in your face who they are, what they know, where they've been, that's really a defense to hide fear and insecurity. I'm insecure, but this makes me strong. This makes me, makes me uh, important. No, it doesn't. One of the greatest Bible teachers of all time in my lifetime was J. Vernon McGee. Some of you know, if you're old enough, J. Vernon McGee. I listened to that guy every day through the Bible. And uh, he was so popular around the world that people would invite him to teach all over the world. But he was afraid to fly, terrorized. He had to make a decision. He was afraid to fly. He had anxiety. He had all kinds of nerves. But guess what? He got on the plane because he had an assignment. So fear is real. And when somebody say, I'm afraid, uh, I don't dismiss that. Oh, God didn't give you spirit of fear, the power and love. No, no. Fear is real. It's healthy. When you, when, when you can recognize that this is what's going on with me. Why are you not doing this? Why have you decided uh, 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 that you're not going any further? You need to answer the question. Is this fear? Is this fear? Did God tell you to do this? Yes, he did. But when you put the butt in there. Guess what you're dealing with? J. Vernon McGee got on the plane. I thank God that he got on the plane because he was reaching people before the computer, before, before you could, uh, uh, before you, there was the internet. If he hadn't gone, they would not have heard. Fear is real. Activate your faith. And we might have to stop here and come back to this. Somebody say amen. Activate your faith. Verse 3b, he says, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust you. Elohim, I'm asking for help. I'm accepting the reality, but I'm also going to activate my faith. I'm going to activate my faith. You got to put, Bible says, faith without works is what? Is dead. You know all the scriptures. You got every translation. You can say it in Greek and Hebrew. But as soon as you face with a challenge, you just shrink and you don't act. You do nothing to demonstrate the Bible that you say you believe, the one that you can quote, the one that you study, the one that you do devotions. You don't actually apply the scriptures when you're being tested. You have to activate. It's a decision. It's a decision. I will not give in to fear. Fear is not the absence of uh, courage. is not the absence of fear. It's the, uh, the decision not to give in to it. I'm not giving in to my emotions. I'm going to go. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to, to confront this. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to go to the doctor and get the diagnosis. I am not going to go year after year. If they go to the doctor, you know they may say find something. Yeah, they may. And if they do, they can take care of it. But if you go 10 years after the fact, when you got to go, Activate your faith. I met a man one time at the airport, and he, he, he flew every, every other day. He was on a plane going somewhere. I mean, five hours, six hours. Man, how in the world do you fly like that? I said, isn't that exhausting? He said, no. I said, what do you mean? He said, I sleep the whole time. 
He said, he said, the only time I wake up, he said, the, the, the uh, stewardess know me. I mean, the, uh, yeah, said, they wake me up. They know to wake me up when the flight is over. I said, well, what, is it? what about turbulence and bad weather? He said, I have no idea when there's turbulence. But he said, I said, why? He said, because I'm sleeping. He said, if, if I couldn't sleep on the plane going to my assignment, I would, I would have to quit. So well, how can you sleep through with the turbulence? And, and, and he said, because two things. I know the pilot, and I trust him. When you know the pilot and you trust the pilot's skills, you can sleep. You can rest. How many of you know that God is our pilot? Has he ever failed you? Has he ever broken a promise? Has he ever gone back on his word? Has he ever forsaken you in the hour of your need? He's got this. He's got the. He is piloting your ship. He knows how to get us where we're going. The problem is we're focusing on a problem rather than the power of the one who's navigating our ship. You can rest when your focus is on him. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher of my faith. I can do like Peter. I'm going to walk on this water. But all I have to do to stay above water, defying gravity, doing the supernatural, when I should be afraid, when I should be terrified, when I should be sinking, I can look at Jesus. The one who calms the storm, the one who speaks to the lightning, who speaks to the rain and says, peace be still. And even all of the elements of creation have to shut up and do what the Lord said. I'm going to keep my focus on him. I will rest in him. Let us pray. Stand with me. I got too much left. Amen. 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 Don't be dominated by fear. Don't be dominated by fear. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we need you. Father, I don't want to be guilty of violating the very scriptures that I preach. But Lord, there are times when I take my eyes off of you. Father, I pray right now for those who are facing medical challenges, financial challenges. Some of the Jeremiah's of this church where you have said in your plan for them that marriage is not your will. That can be terrifying. That can be discouraging. That can be depressing. And then for those of us who you told to marry and their difficulties in the marriage, and we're afraid that things will not get better. May we recognize that you called Hosea to be an example of your scandalous grace. Father, I thank you that you never give up on us, that you keep on pursuing us, that you love us with a crazy love. Oh, God, right now, I just ask that everyone that is under the sound of my voice would learn how to hear your voice for themselves. That we would learn how to feel your touch and to know for ourselves when you are present in our situation. David said, you are for me. That's the question in my circumstances. We need to settle it. God is for me. 
And without, with him, nothing shall be impossible. Amen. Amen. With every-